All right, pilgrims, happy Palm Sunday. It's good to see. It was so like incredible for me watching this. It was like 10.32, and I got to believe they were starting to sweat it, where I saw our children's ministry called The Rock come peeling in that door, child after child and weathered adult after weathered adult. Way to go for the little pilgrims here today, all right? All right, guys, I want you to track something here with me today. Now, the Gospel of Luke, which you can find in the New Testament, it tells the story of Jesus. And the entire Gospel hinges on one phrase, that when you hit this verse, the Gospel takes a decided swing in a very specific direction. And I want to show that to you here today. Here's the passage. It's Luke 9.51. Here's what it says. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The entire story of Jesus, as Luke tells it, hinges on this phrase. Now, now keep in mind that this gospel is like 24 chapters long. So from chapter 9 all the way to the end, there is this, this focus, this vision, this, this journey, this, this decided route that Jesus is taking. Well, you see how it puts it, resolutely, resolutely setting out for Jerusalem. And what I'd like to do is I'd just like to kind of sample that here for you today. I'm going to read you a number of passages just to kind of give you the flavor of this and show you how it kind of unfolds Jesus' journey to what we're celebrating here today. Now, the first starts in Luke 13. Here's what it says. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, get out of here. Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. It's fascinating to me that, like, like for us who know these Bible stories, like the Pharisees are always painted as the bad guys, but not all Pharisees were the bad guys. Some of the Pharisees were the most devoted followers of Jesus there were, and there was this group that saw what was going down. They saw the, the, the commotion that Jesus was stirring and how the powers that be, the king, the territory itself, wanted him dead. Why? Because when you're a king, the biggest threat is a possible other king. And so they come to Jesus, who's resolutely setting out for, for the hive, you know, for Jerusalem. They're like, Get, what, what are you thinking? Don't, don't do it, Jesus. Get out of there. Go underground. Go into hiding. He wants to kill you. Check out what Jesus says. It goes on and says this. Go tell that fox. If my page would stop flipping, this would be a good day. Go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, 
I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Wait, catch that again? No prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Embedded within this, this story that Luke tells is that, that Jesus is resolutely setting out for this place, contrary to the warnings, contrary to wisdom, contrary to common sense, where he knows the likelihood is high that he will be killed. Who does that? Here's another. This one's from a Luke 17, it says, once having been asked by some Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is, but don't go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And later it says Jesus took the 12 aside and told them this. We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that's written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him. Insult him. Spit on him. Flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. But it goes on. It says that the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Disciples, do you ever feel like you don't understand any of this? You ever have these moments like, like, like with Jesus where it feels like the meaning is hidden and none of it makes sense? Well, I got good news for you. You're, you're in good company. If it was true for the 12 people that were like walking with him when he's like living and breathing right there in his midst, how much more for us today? But do you see this trajectory in the way that Luke unfolds the story of Jesus, that he was on a mission, resolutely setting out for Jerusalem, despite the probability, in fact, maybe you could even say the, 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 the near inevitability, that when he got there, spit, insults, mockery, flogging, rejection, and death. Well, let's go, guys, right? And then he gets there. And you can read the story out of, out of Luke that, 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 that what we're doing here today is meant to emulate. He gets there, and the city is electrified. I mean, it is busting at the seams. You ever been to Mardi Gras? It got nothing on Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
as these pilgrims, these Jews, are coming in from all over kingdom come to fill this city, to cry out to their God, to remember, waving these palm branches, which for them are like the equivalent of American flags, because for them, Passover is the 4th of July. It is the day that God gave them independence, independence from Egypt, set them free, made them a nation of their own, and here they are under the oppression of Rome, trusting, daring to believe, holding on sometimes probably with nothing more than just a thread of hope that God would once again liberate, deliver, redeem. And they were shouting back and forth, Hosanna, which means God save. They're waving their branches. They're calling out because they see him coming. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be that this is the one? This Jesus is the one we've been hoping for. They heard the rumors, the prophet. They heard the rumors, the healer, the one who championed the oppressed and liberated those who were enslaved, the one who, who, who cast out demons and, and had authority over the very forces of hell itself, the water walker, the storm stiller, the demon slayer, the one who even had authority over death itself. And here he was coming. The buzz hit Jerusalem, and the city went wild. It went wild because maybe, just maybe, God is finally coming to deliver me. And then Jesus sits on a donkey. Do you know what's not dignified? sitting on a donkey. Do you know what's less dignified? Riding one. Have you ever seen someone ride a donkey? My family and I were up in a small school district northwest of here, Alden Hebron, and I know this is going to come across as really hick right now, but we had like donkey basketball like, like two weeks ago. Are, are you familiar with this? kind of nonsense. I can assure you this, and let's just leave it here. It was not dignified. You do not ride a donkey if you are looking to impress. No one pulls up at some girl's house on a donkey and says, hop on, come on, you know, baby, look at my ride. You know what I'm saying? This, this has never happened in the history of the universe. Kings do not ride their mighty donkeys into war. This is not dignified and becoming of a king. Okay, well, let's let that one go. But then he gets into the city. And he starts doing all the wrong things. He, he goes to the temple, like, 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 like the center of it all, the most cherished, coveted, respected symbol of who they are as a people and God's deliverance and presence among them. And he starts flipping tables and calling it nothing more than a den of thieves and driving them out with a whip. He starts 
giving warnings instead of sign of hopes. He starts calling down judgment instead of promising liberation. He starts antagonizing and humiliating the entire religious leadership, almost feeling like he's pushing their buttons intentionally. And he keeps escalating and escalating and won't back down. This is not the way you garner support if you are seeking to lead a revolution. And here we have Jesus from this point on resolutely setting out into Jerusalem with every intention in mind to do exactly, exactly these kinds of things. And I think because we know the story well enough, at least those of us who kind of grew up with it or, or have heard it before, been part of a celebration like this, I think we so easily forget the absolute foolishness of it all, the foolishness of Jesus going in. I mean, he's, he's going into the hive. He's going in. And what are you thinking? Let me show you another passage here today. And it says this. The message of the cross is foolishness. The message of Jesus is, is foolishness. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's utterly absurd. The message of the cross is foolishness. The Bible has to say. It's foolishness. And, and people kind of shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the king. Would it be more accurate to say Hosanna to the fool? And my biggest frustration and struggle with Christians is the way that we try to backpedal, soft pedal, and water down the language. If that's what the Bible calls it, why not you? Because what Jesus did was absolutely absurd. There's a songwriter, his name is Rich Mullins, who has since gone to be with Jesus. But, you know, he's got this quote that I want to share with you. And, and the first time I came across this, it just kind of like, you, you ever have something just kind of like cut you to the heart in that right kind of way? And ever since I've read it, I, I, I can't shake what it has to say. Here it is. It says, the Bible is not a book for the faint of heart. It is a book full of all the greed and glory and violence and tenderness and sex and betrayal that benefits mankind. It is not the collection of pretty little anecdotes mouthed by pious little church mice. It does not so much nibble at our shoe as it cuts to the heart and splits the marrow from bone to bone. It does not give us answers fitted to our smaller-minded questions, but truth that goes beyond what we even know to ask. And then it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. Why? 
because that's what it is. Because when Jesus went into Palm Sunday, he went in playing the part of the fool. Knowing full well the foolishness of it all, knowing full well the results of what would happen, playing the part of the fool to honor the mission and purpose for which his father sent him, playing the part of the fool in obedience to God, because sometimes God needs a fool. And here we see Jesus coming in the foolishness of it all, playing the role of the fool in honor to God. And because he played the role of the fool, that means salvation, deliverance. It makes all the difference for you and me. Because I got to tell you, Jesus was not interested in being dignified. There are leaders today and many of us who are obsessed with being dignified. What do people think? What will people say? Do they like me? Do they approve of me? Am I doing it their way? Will they follow me? Jesus had no interest in these kinds of things. Nor did he have any interest in playing it straight. Playing it straight, within the bounds, careful not to offend on either side. I mean, read like two verses of a gospel and you see that one's blown out of the water. No, he had no interest in being dignified because following God is not dignified. Learning about God is very dignified. Many erudite people have done it. But following him... That's an entirely different matter. And Jesus wasn't afraid to, afraid to play the fool. And he looked at his disciples and he said, the same applies for you. Will you be a fool? Will you be a fool and follow me? Because to follow Jesus well, it isn't dignified either. Because here's the thing. And I really believe this. Everyone. Everyone is a fool for someone. The question is this. Whose fool are you? Feels like a t-shirt. Should I get these printed or something. Like the front side, like I'm a fool for Jesus. And the back could say something like, I'm a fool for you. Because the same passage goes on to say the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, what we discover, it is nothing short of the wisdom, power, and might of God. Now, I want to show you a clip here today. It's something that for me that kind of really captures a bit of the heart of this. Um, you ever see these things, these like military homecomings? Someone gets deployed and they have to leave their family, especially kids or, or a loved one, and they're gone for like a six month or even a year long deployment. And have you ever had just the amazing benefit and blessing to see what a reunion is like when someone who serves comes home? 
going to show you a clip. It's about a minute and 20. And what I love about it is it's, it's just blank, raw footage. Someone trying to capture the essence of this moment when this young Marine is coming home, be it from, I don't know, boot camp, be it from deployment, I'm not sure, but coming home to surprise his girlfriend. Now, the scene you're going to see, it, it takes place in a high school where he, he comes in without telling her. And I just want you to root in on the essence of it all. It looks like it's a graduation or maybe a prom, but then when you see these dresses, they're like totally antebellum and they got like feathers sticking out of their hair, so I really hope it's not a graduation or a prom and it's some kind of play. It doesn't really matter, all right? Just, just, just take the video for what it's worth and what it has to say. She's over here. Come on. Come behind me, behind me, behind me. You know, I, I've watched this several times, and I haven't seen it just now. But did you see that, like, little, that younger kid in the back in the tux going like this? <laughs> what do you do when the love of your life comes to you? When the love of your life who has been away returns, surprises you, comes to you, and you didn't anticipate or expect it. What do you do? You scream and you hold on and you don't let go. Do you know what would have totally killed this moment? Imagine this. Get in the head of this young Marine. Ten bucks said, says he, he, he had been concocting this for weeks. Arguably, that this moment is what kept him going through the grueling pace, the danger faced, the struggle, the separation, and the hardship. Dreaming about how he was going to surprise her. Dreaming about what, what, what she would do, how she would respond. Dreaming of the look on her face and that amazing embrace. Do you know what would have totally killed the moment? 
if that Marine walks into her high school after that performance and it's filled with her family and friends and people she goes to school with and he's sneaking up and he brings her that flower and she sees him and her eyes light up but then her inhibition grabs her instead and instead of screaming and running and grabbing him around his neck, she does one of these and one of these really quickly out of the corners of her eyes to make sure and assess what her friends might be thinking, questioning whether it would be dignified, acceptable, popular, wondering if she would look the fool for embracing him there. What would that do to him? What would it do to that relationship? Do you know what would have killed that moment? is if she went with that instinct instead, and as he holds the flowers out, walked up to him in dignified fashion, so nice to see you. You look good today. Can intimacy die on the vine any quicker? You know, today we're celebrating this whole momentous day when Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, coming in. We try to emulate it here today. And we scream and we shout and we, we, we cheer. Is it just a day? And how guilty are we in our walk with Jesus of letting our own dignity kick in? And with no intent on my part to shame anyone today, did you even find yourself here today? Saying in your head, he means everything to me. But afraid of what people would think if you act the fool in this place. See, Jesus just didn't come to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He continually comes to each of us today as well, yearning, longing. He's up there in heaven fantasizing about what it's going to be like, what's going to take place when his spirit captures your heart and when you have that moment to come face to face. When you see him, will you be sidelining to look at what the friends and people around you might say? Or will you act the fool, scream, overcome with delight and glee, rush him, and wrap your arms around him no matter what people has to say? Jesus told his disciples, I'm I'm heading for Jerusalem. And if you want to be followers of me, you got to do the same. Be a fool for God. Everyone's a fool for someone. Just ask yourself, whose fool you want to be? So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. 
And as they do, I want to read you something. This comes out of Psalm 118. Now, there's this collection of songs, of, of chants, of prayers that, that the people of Israel would sing, that Jesus and his disciples, more likely than not, were chanting and singing and hearing as they came into Jerusalem that day. And as I read this, take the staid emotion, the staid emotionless flat readings of scripture that we impose on it and let the emotion of what you hear rise and try to envision what it would have been like for the people actually chanting, actually singing, actually shouting it back in Jesus' day. Let me read it to you today. Hate it when my bookmark falls out. I'm going to invite you to rise for this today. Listen to what it has to say. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. How many times do we just read the words off the page in the way I just said them here today? But for someone who believes it, for someone who clings to it, for someone to whom it's their soul song, how would they have said it in their day? What does it mean to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, to know that his love endures forever? Can you hear them chanting it? Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Can you hear it? Can you taste it? Can you see how it would have been for those willing to play the fool in Jesus' day? In my anguish, I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. I was pushed back and about to fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. For I will live and not die and proclaim what the Lord has done. The stone the builder rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh Lord, save us. Oh Lord, grant us success. Or as they would have said it in Hebrew in the day, Ana Yahweh Hoshiana, Ana Yahweh Hatzlichana. Today we get a chance to become fools for Jesus again. Let the cries of your heart out. 
the shouts and the glee, the calls of Hosanna, the desire and yearning to be saved. Let it all out there. Today and every day. For the King.